community. So we've addressed it with full force. Yeah, so today we are going to be able to uh, continue from a position like that. We've been so aggressively approaching this subject over the last year or so of making sure that security and sonship and all of those things are at the heart of what we do, right? If you don't believe that you belong in the family of God or in the local work that he's placed you in, then you're going to forever find yourself unable to participate in what's going on. But we've been aggressively tackling that subject for the last year and more of sonship, making sure you know who you are relative to the God Most High, who you are to Yahweh himself, and he's called you a son. And Yeshua, Jesus himself, has called himself your brother. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. And he has set out a model for every single one of us to get to participate in the kind of way of life that he displayed for us. Is that right? So that's a done deal. We're sealed. We have tackled that subject. And so we want you today to be able to work with us how, uh, how we are not where we ought to be right now, according to that. Now, this is today, there will be correction in this message according to how we have been walking things out. But it's not tackling necessarily a horrible character trait going on in this church or anything that we are sitting around fuming and angry about it's that Landon and I sat and we prayed on behalf of everybody in this church we prayed on behalf of the work that God's doing in our community through this church and we say God what is it that you want us to press into right now and he showed us that to the degree of sonship that he's revealed to us to the degree of sonship that we get to live in every day with him, we carry the name and now he's asking us to step up in every practical way into the family name that we've received from him. Does that make sense? So we are not where we ought to be. So we ask you today, where are you? That's the title of our message today is, where are you? We're going to ask you this many, many times today because it's not necessarily who are you because that's what's been getting answered for the last year and more. Who am I? I know that now. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the living God. I am the bride of Christ. I am all of the, I'm the inheritance that Jesus came and paid for right here on this earth. And what do we do about it? That is the question that we're asking you guys about today is where are you? When we say we are not where we ought to be, we quite literally mean that according to the salvation that comes from Christ, the empowerment from the Holy Spirit and the equipping that comes from the preaching and teaching here and the firm foundation that our discipleship way of life brings, we are not a church where we ought to be. And this is in terms of things like maturity, or obedience to the scriptures. Operation in the gifts from Holy Spirit himself. The knowledge of the scriptures. Zeal for his presence. Or having a heart that yearns to worship him. Yearning to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters around us. Or to trust in the Lord 
concerning finances. Saints, we could go on and on for the next hour, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to give you some solutions. Amen? We have a whole life to aim to attain to these things in perfection and yet never arrive. Paul himself said, it's not that I have arrived, but it's that I have left these things behind and I'm pressing on to these things ahead. And so we are simply asking you, where are you today? Where are you pressing forward to today? But you and I have only today. Say, I have only today. I have only today. You only have today. It's the only day that you've been promised. To get up and pursue these things with our hearts, like a GPS and our le- like a GPS in our heart and our legs set in sixth gear, trucking down the road. There is no other way than this today to make the decision in your heart to go in the way that He has given you to go. Amen. So, when we say, "Where are you?" say, "I'm here." Where are you, church? I'm here. Where are you? I'm here. Where are you? I'm here. Church, today we're going to hammer out every excuse. Today we're removing every obstacle and we're dismissing every excuse and scheme of the enemy that tries to attack. Like Isaac, we are building a tent. We are building a community in this room and in this body. This community is built encircling what matters most being what we experienced 10 minutes ago and are still experiencing now his presence in worship at the altar. But the evidence that we're not just starting this thing together, but that we're finishing this thing together, is to show today in our unity of heart, conviction, vision, and investment. Where are you this morning, church? Oh, come on. That's not going to work. Where are you this morning, church? Thank you. In Genesis chapter 26, the very place that we've been focusing on for a few months now, it says this starting in verse 22. Just listen and track with me today. Genesis chapter 26 verse 22 says, Isaac moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Pausing there already, what is the point of God placing you as a community, as a family in the land, if you're not going to be fruitful in the land and multiply? If you're not going to be fruitful in the land and make his name known among the people there, then why on earth are you even living there? There's no point in God filling you with his Holy Spirit, activating you, empowering you, doing all those things, setting you in a land, and then you not pursuing the vision that he has for that land. That means you're going to have to know from him where to go and what to do. And that's exactly what Isaac had. Isaac had the directions from God himself. And so whenever he was in a land and they were quarreling over it, he moved him to a new place where he had space to stretch out and grow. That's exactly what God's done here for us. Continuing in verse 23, it says, Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him. Um, that same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. So he built an altar there. And that's what we spoke on again last week. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Then he pitched his tent there, which is what we're going to speak to you about today. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. 
Isaac set up his tent where he met with the Lord because there was a community being built around the culture of men and women coming to meet with God. That's the place where real culture is built. That's the place where real community is built. I don't know about you guys. I've been in every sort of like school club, public school, sports teams, city sports teams, travel leagues. I've been in bands and, and all sorts of stuff. And I've found community in a lot of places. I've been in church my entire life. Even if they call themselves a church, if the community is not built around men and women coming to meet with God, it will be a stale community. That's not a criticism of name-dropping churches and hating on them. The point of it is, is that every church ought to step back from where they're at and acknowledge the fact that God had left the room a long time ago. So if, if the community is no longer being built around that, then why are you building a community and what exactly is it that's holding it together? I've seen church split or church split after church split in my life. And I can tell you today, a lot of the times it had to do with men's egos. Okay? The, the blessing of what we have here, and I'm just speaking for myself and the relationships that I have with Pastor Landon, Pastor Devin, Pastor Mike, and all of our families, is not that we all think the same. It's not all that we talk the same. It's not all that we preach the same or that we agree on every single little thing we ever say. The fact is, is that we have built our friendships, our community, our partnerships, and this community around meeting with Yahweh. And that is what can hold people of all different size, shapes, colors, mentalities, everything together all in one community. Do you see that? Does that make sense to you? So when building a community together, when zealously pursuing the mission God has given us, we must be in stride with one another. If, whenever it says that Isaac moved from one place to another, it didn't literally mean only Isaac. Isaac had a huge community of people moving with him. He had inherited the entire community from his own father, Abraham, and there were thousands of sheep and goats and camels and livestock. There was troves of money moving with them. They had a huge community of people and and sons and daughters and cousins and everything moving together. But they, but there, our Bible is able to say Isaac moved from one place to another because all of the people moved in unity together. And that's the main point of us asking, where are you today? Because if you're not here... And I don't just mean in this room here. I mean here. You are here in heart and in mind. We are unified together. If we're not moving in stride together, then all of the sonship and belonging to the Lord and meeting with him, all that stuff just stays that and that's it. There are a lot of people filled with God's Holy Spirit who love his presence and meet with him every week and they don't make steps forward in the land that God has given them. But we will be a church Today we will be a church that moves forward together. Amen? We have to, being fully convicted regarding our own lives, Landon and I spent time this week discussing this very topic just in our own lives. We're literally working through the character flaws. We're working through the, the ethical issues, right? Of where we're like, man, God's given us this authority to do things. God's given us this position to do things. God's asked of our lives in certain ways to sacrifice and to lead and all this stuff. But 
I have these character issues in me, and Landon was agreeing in himself, that are holding us back. That are holding us back even from us being able to work unified with the rest of our pastoral team here. Even furthermore, in this entire church, we are such a tight-knit church. We, have, we are such a familial community that these character traits really do become pervasive throughout the entire community. And so we took some time to do this self-inspection. So we, so we asked ourselves, what is contributing to this lack of unity? This inability to be in stride together as a community in the mission, in the work that God's given us. And one of the things that, that came to mind for us was saying that we are not convinced that everyone who says that they are here are as much here as they think they are. Or even as they say that they are. Well, what does that look like for us as a community to not be unified in what we're building together? So if we're saying, hey, we have room to grow as God's people, not even just as a local church, just as God's people, if we have room to grow in executing the things that Jesus asks of our lives and not just getting in agreement with it, but actually doing it, what are some of these things and what do they look like? Because we're not talking about whether or not we like each other. I like everybody in this room. Even friends that we just met this morning, I like everybody in this room. There's not a person I don't like in this room. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about an agreement or disagreement concerning doctrine or whether or not we're of, of a similar opinion on certain things. We're asking, we're not asking what are you. We're not asking who are you. We're asking where are you? Because God will sort out a lot of these differences if we would just get in stride together with the work he's given us. Amen? Churches, as, as Pastor and I were praying this week, um, not only did the Lord kind of download things for our personal lives, which he did, and everything we're mentioning in here, in some form or fashion, probably applies to us as well. We've, we've worked through that in our own lives. But he also put every one of you on our minds. Yeah. And we wrote this message with you in mind. Every single one of you. So the first thing that the Lord brought to our attention is that obviously some of you have been here longer than others. Some have been here since the very beginning. Some are new today. Some walked in a year or two years ago. It varies between the room. But one of the first things that the Lord pointed out to us is that we're still, still dealing with churchgoers in our family who are just satisfied with making sure they're at church every Sunday, and that's it. If that, on a good day. And let's be honest about what this really means, right? This really means it is devaluing the standards and disciplines we hold to as a community. When we talk about unity, unity in the Lord Unity in brothers, in our relationships with our spouses, our brothers and sisters, our leadership, from us to you. Relationally, when we talk about unity in the body of Christ, there is a standard and a value system that each one of us have. Well, let me correct myself. There's one standard, but each of us have a value system that fluctuates sometimes depending on how we're feeling that day. There's one standard, and it is the word of God. 
but we tend to value that standard based on how we're feeling, if we're offended with somebody, how our kids are treating us as parents versus vice versa. If your kid's having a bad day, you just get real discouraged and frustrated and your value of them seems to go down because they're frustrating you. Your brothers frustrate you and your value seems to go down. You don't want to spend time with them. You don't want to be around them. These are things that we have worked through in our hearts this week, the past few days, and that we need to work through as a body together. So church attendance only, if that, is really a devaluing of the standards and disciplines that we hold to as a community. I have some scriptures for you. As a reminder, let me read to you a familiar passage. Don't turn to this one. But I want to recapture a practical idea of what the standards and disciplines of Remnant Church look like today. Acts 4.32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Since the scriptures say that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, this is our aim this morning. This is our goal. We've preached messages in the past several weeks like, are we there yet? And do you believe yet? This morning we're asking you, where are you? Where are you? If our goal is to be fully unified in everything that we believe, which is our goal, correct? One, because we're unified in in God the Father. We're unified as brothers and sisters and as a family. If our goal is to be unified in everything that we believe, say, and do, how can we get to that place if we are still struggling just being satisfied with just making sure we checked our list that we went to church this week, whether that's a Sunday, Tuesday, or Thursday? It's not a reality. How can we move forward in unity if some of us do not value the mission, vision, and purpose of this work and what the Lord's doing as maybe some others in this room. There's differing value systems. We're family. Amen, we're family. And this morning we're going to be open and honest with you and raw as the Lord was raw with us. So church, where are you this morning? Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord's coming drawing near. You notice what he said? He said, do not neglect the meeting of God's people together in unity as some are in the habit of doing. As some are in the habit of doing. And he's speaking to Christians in Hebrews. He's speaking to us in this room this morning, saying, what is your value system that you place on unity being shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters, worshiping before the Lord, hearing a good word, fellowshipping with each other, relying on each other to pick you up when you fall. How can you have those things if we are not unified weekly, daily? You cannot uphold the standard without meeting together. You need each other. We need you. Meeting together should excite us. It should inspire us, not only because we usually get to talk about Jesus, praise the Lord, but because we love each other. You spend time with who you love. 
And we love you, and we know that you love us. We know that there's a familial love in this room that goes far beyond church on a Sunday. Our familial love in this room goes to helping each other move houses. It goes to making sure that brother gets a new job. It goes to praying for your sick loved ones or the praying, praying for the salvation of your family. We love each other and bend over backwards for each other. That's a love that is prominent remnant. We know that. And we're sharpening it this morning. Amen. Amen. Maybe some of you in this room don't struggle with missing church. And you're here every week. Praise the Lord. But that's the extent of the efforts on your part. Which isn't a whole lot better in the scheme of things. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Because it gives us even more context. Flip a couple pages over. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Say, I'm here when you get there. I'm here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Man, that one verse alone in verse 42, they devoted themselves not only to a particular doctrine. That is the first thing that's mentioned. The teaching of these apostles is what they devoted themselves to. But they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. And I know that that's a Christianese term that a lot of us in the Bible Belt have grown up with. Where it's where you do a potluck on Sunday for lunch and then you go home. And that's fellowship, right? It is fellowship. But it's the fellowship. We're talking about the fellowship of God's people. We're talking about inseparable relationships where you don't just have to do everything together. You don't just get to do everything together. You want to do everything together. Because we have a short life that we live. Our life, is, as the scriptures say, is like a mist in the air. Why are you going to go and pout in your house and do anything on your own whenever you could call up all your friends who love Jesus just like you do and they could come over and help you? Or you could go and help them. Or you could just spend time together. The isolationism and everything else that our culture in America teaches us where it's important for you to be ultra-independent and go be able to do everything on your own is only a partial truth. It is important that you should be able to carry your own weight in your family. As a man and as a woman of God, that is important. But it's also just as important that you are living in the community of God's people, getting to and wanting to do everything together. It continues, it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now understand what preceded the awe and wonder falling on the people in the community. And it's a part of what we were experiencing on the nights that we were meeting on the square there in Denton. Awe and wonder were falling on strangers in the community because of the love that you have for one another. Because you love the Lord, because you love one another, God honors that according to Acts chapter 2, and he will present himself in miracles, signs, wonders, all and everything else over a whole region of people on behalf of his love for you. Isn't that amazing? So do not think that we're talking about just an assimilation into a culture at a church. We're talking about unlocking power.
power and awe and wonder and glory and miracles and signs and wonders and everything falling on our city that we live in because we are walking in stride together. That's going to require us to work together. It continues and says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is our goal for every single one of you, including ourselves in our own lives. And starting with your leaders, Remnant Church will be a body that operates in the Holy Spirit, that lays down their lives for their brother's vision, and that fully pursues the heart of God at church and in their private time, and fully expects to see God's kingdom come in all of its marvelous power, not just in the age to come, but right now. Amen. Again, this morning, where are you? I'm here. Where are you? I'm here. Have any of you ever thought that this is just a New Testament Bible thing? I mean, we're already dealing with a whole category of Christians who don't even think that the Old Testament applies anymore. You don't think that this was only reserved for the New Testament Bible, do you? Or does none of the Bible apply? No, the whole Bible applies, right? Amen. So we can agree that um, by the model that God set by his first apostles right there in the book of Acts, that we too can walk in the same model and, accept, and, and ex expect some of the similar things that Jesus did. Amen? Yeah. Come on, what's next? That being said, turn on your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31. Oh, yeah. We some Old Testament Christians in here. When we say Bible, we mean the full context and authority of the word. Start to finish. Deuteronomy 31. Where are you? Are you in verse 12? Picking up in verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. Who are we supposed to assemble and gather? Everybody. And that their children who have not known to learn to fear the Lord and be careful to do all the words of the law. Their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Saints, do we live in a beautiful land the Lord has given this body? Do we possess this land? We take authority over it? Yes. For the sake of our children, as Deuteronomy 31 says, we must fight to gather on this land. We must fight to spend time with each other on and off this land, devoting ourselves to the teachings of Scripture, to worshiping together corporately, and to fearing the Lord together. This looks like more than just showing up, but being invested when you do show up. Being invested when you do show up. Not to hear three points in a poem but expecting to leave every meeting with fuel for your fire. 
so that you may be able to uphold the standard better than you were upholding it when you walked in the door. Amen? Our children rely on us to show these things. They're getting taken care of in, in the other house right now. In whatever way that is, they're learning about the Lord. They're doing little Bible studies. They're playing. They're spending time together while you are in here getting equipped on how you should be raising your children and equipping them with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of the scriptures, worshiping with them in every day, loving on them as Jesus has loved on you. That is your responsibility as parents. And this morning we are going to we are going to get a hold of these things. Amen. Church, valuing the standards and disciplines that we adhere to are very important. And they affect the generations that follow us. We want to do them well, and we do not want to miss it. We actually want them to go further than we ever could. So church, this morning again, for the 15th out of maybe 50 times, where are you? I'm here. Amen. Are you satisfied with just attending church? Or do you want to partner with the Lord and his people, your brothers on your left and your right, in upholding his standards and disciplines? Yes. Amen. Let's move on to the second thing the Lord was showing us. All right. Number two today, we're going to talk to you about what it looks like when we are posturing together. Say posturing. Posturing. If you, for those of you who don't understand what that means, it's like whenever you... Uh, it's like whenever some of you might go to the gym, right, and then somebody comes up next to you, and they start lifting some weights next to you, and you start, like, flexing a little bit harder, right? And you're like, and you like, you sit down those weights, and you go, and you pick up the next ones, and you can't get it up, but, like, at the same time, you're like, no, dude, I ain't, I'm not going to stand here and look weak. Whatever that looks like, posturing when you're together is making yourself look better than what you really are in private. Does that make sense? All right, then we can move forward. Posturing when together is, so now that we're all together as a community, we're all spending time together, we're working hard together, we're seeing the accomplishment of God's mission and vision that he's giving his people here, we want to be a people who are not posturing with each other because that's competition within the body of Christ and we're not going to have that. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 12 with me. Verse 1. Man, I have been around Christians my whole life competing with each other on who's the best. And uh, everybody forgot to compete for Jesus being the best. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living, sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If you are a spirit-filled Christian in this room and you like being spiritual, this is the first and most important thing you should be doing as a spiritual person. Listen, <laughs> we are not for any flakiness up in this place. And it does not look like just giving a good word. It doesn't look like having a vision and an interpretation and then going and floating away on the clouds and not getting in the work of what Jesus is doing. Amen. It looks like you laying down your life for God's people 
that you might see the entire thing accomplished together. And then that is your first spiritual act of worship. It continues in verse 2 and says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and even more perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. And God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We need meek men and women in this place. Those of great authority and great humility all at the same time. This is who every one of us is called to be. Not just the guys. Like, look, y'all, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor here. But, I mean, I'm not employed here, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we are not in this thing to be getting anything out of it. We are here just to be an example, and that's it. We open our lives wide open so that you can criticize all the stuff going on in it, and you can ask questions, and you can complain and argue, and we can talk about doctrine, and then we'll just show you our lives. Then we don't have to talk about theology, because then we'll just show you the fruit of our lives, right? So in this case, we need meek men and women. That's those who carry authority, and are who are willing to be an example by humility, who lay down their lives and consider someone else more important than themselves. Yeah. Every single one of us is called to be that, not just church leaders. Everyone. That's you, Dylan Tekel. That's you, John Hart. That's you, Morgan. You guys, all of us together, we're called to do this whole thing together, every single bit of it. This act of posturing, or presenting yourself greater than you really are, becomes especially sinful in our community, considering the years we've spent just clarifying the fact that you are loved by God and that you belong here. If we have those things settled, then what are the reasons that anyone would posture, that anyone would present themselves greater than they really are to one another? Well, just to one up the person next to them just to seem more spiritual than the one next to them just to seem more wise than the person next to them just to seem more important than the one next to them and that is not a character trait that we're gonna live by here in this community of Christians as far as the authority and the reach that God has given us it's the folks in this room and we got a lot of friends around the world we can't go out there and tell every church and Christian how to behave I'm gonna tell you right here today in this room we will not be a people who are making competition between each other as to who's greater the greatest among us is gonna be a servant of everyone Come on. so what does that look like then leaders needing to prove themselves to one another and members of the community Oh, man, if we're going to start picking on anything, we're going to start with the leaders first. Leaders in this room. We even had some new ones stand up this last Sunday. Leaders in the church community feeling the need to prove themselves to one another or to anybody else in this church. We're not going to live by that. 
And that is one way that we can see this posturing come up in a church community. Another one is mom's on a play date. Uh-oh. Landon put this one in here. Mom's on a play date, unable to enjoy each other's company because of proving their parenting abilities to each other. Oh, come on. We have so many babies up in this church and so many moms, and especially young moms who are figuring it out, man. If you can't just enjoy each other's company because you so badly want to make sure that every other mom in this church sees how good of a mom you are, you are missing out on the community and on the mission that God's given us because you're trying so hard to prove that you're something to everybody else. It's best just to put the work in in private and let the fruit in public show for itself. Or, or men, don't think we missed you, avoiding, men avoiding one another outside of work and church meetings. And then whenever they're approached... Man, I'm good, man. It's all great. The look, man, I was met with the Lord this week. He's been sweet to me. All, all this stuff. And we're like, why are you in the exact same place as you were six months ago? But we don't see you outside of church meetings. We don't see you outside of work for those of us who work together. But whenever we do see you, You're like, oh, no, it's all good, man. Yeah, it's great. We're doing well. This is the kind of posturing. Now, this doesn't look like arrogance and pride coming forward. It looks like men not being able to trust one another, open their lives up to each other, and let men of God love on one one another and be able to work together. Being present, listen to this, being present in location, like geographically, like we're here together, and on a heart level, proves a care for the standards within the community. That means if you're coming up and you're, man, you're at every church meeting together, all that stuff, that's great. That means that you do care. But you know what else does? Posturing. Posturing actually shows that you care for what God is asking of your life. But what it means is is that you're not actually living up to it So you're having to show off in front of someone because the reality of the situation is you don't have on the inside what you're trying to show on the outside. Yeah, that's good. Think about this for a second. If you didn't care to uphold the standard and devote your life to Jesus and devote your life to your brothers and sisters, there's no need to posture. You're not trying to fool anybody. But posturing, as Pastor Kaysen said, does prove that you care. You just might not be caring well. Yeah. So it's a poor reflection of what's actually true in private. So this can look like the high, mighty, and pompous look on some people. An over-spiritualization in others. An exaggerated storytelling of the last time you were your, your, your friendly neighborhood super-Christian. Right? Like... This is what all different types of posturing looks like. We have no need for this. In fact, we are calling it out to be complete and done right now. Lest we find ourselves to be like a couple of, uh, well, ignorant new Christians found in Acts chapter 5 in our Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 1. See, 
Whenever Christians get together and it becomes normalized in society, that you come on, you put your Sunday's best on, you smile, you're like, we're good, we're great, yeah, so happy to be here, so good to see you, all that kind of stuff. It seems like it's just like a cultural thing, right? But we want to show you how toxic it actually is and how dangerous it is to have this kind of behavior in your life. We're not picking on anybody in here. We want you guys to have full freedom from every single one of these things. Acts chapter 5 verse 1 says, But a man named Ananias (coughs) and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart you have not lied to man but you have lied to God he lied to God not man this was considered to be filled with Satan and with what they did so understand the level of urgency that we have on this subject but what exactly did Ananias and Sapphira do You know, some people would say, well, they should have been given everything to the apostle. That's not actually the point here. Because not everyone was required to give everything to the apostles. They, what it was is that they really desired to feel a part of the community. So much so that they stood before the community, its leaders, and God, and drastically exaggerated the details of what they were actually presenting Versus giving an accurate and secure witness of what they were giving. Why say all if you don't actually mean all? If you, as Ananias and Sapphira, are saying we're giving all. If you say it, why would you not do it? Do you understand the conviction that you're bringing onto yourself and the opportunities for self-condemnation for Satan himself to work into it whenever you say all but you don't actually bring all we're not saying that you got to go empty your bank account and bring it to this church we don't need your money Jesus needs your life right but what we're saying is is that if you're saying all really actually do all and yes it's gonna hurt yeah it's gonna be difficult but it's what you said you're gonna do so do it if you said that you're a disciple at this church if you said that God has placed you here in this place to be near to someone to follow near to them to glean from their lives and to take their way of life and then take it and then even improve on it in your life then do it Why come to this church and say you're doing something and then not actually do it? Why say all if you aren't bringing all? Who are you trying to impress? So we're not talking about who are you. We're saying where are you? Why are you you saying that you're here but you're not really here? Why say I'm here and not actually show up and be here? On a, even on a heart and devotion. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality to one another. Where are you, church? Mom's in the room with the play date thing. The standard is not raised or lowered based on any one mom in this room. Take that out of your thoughts this morning. There's one standard. You're upholding it or you're not. We need to be real and honest. And in no shape, way, or form are any of us offended with any mom or any woman in the room. We love you and we want to encourage you. We're not here to beat the dead horse with a stick over and over again. That's not what we're here to do this morning. We're here to grow together as a body in valuing the standard, upholding the standard, being honest, outdoing one another, showing honor to each other. And to do that, you have to get down in the ditch with somebody and war with them and help bring them up out of it. So there is no different standard for each one of us. It's the same standard. The body of Christ is meant to build each other up. We, can, we have to know each other to grow together. Men in the room, avoiding your brothers throughout the week, probably not a good idea. We, we will find you. We'll come to your house. We show up at people's house on, yeah. on motorcycles now. It's, it's even more fun. We want to come to your house more now because we have our motorcycles. See more of us now. My, our point in posturing is this. Church, we are so far past this as a community. We do not need to be fiddling with these things and allowing the enemy to keep coming in and speaking little lies and believing them. The enemy is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. So for us to believe it is insecurity and misidentification between us and our father. Our father speaks only truth. The enemy, his counterpart, speaks only lies. And we are sons and daughters of one, not the other. We start living like it. We're past these things, as my three-year-old would say. It's time to get up and fight like a man. My three-year-old tells me that after I knock him down when we're wrestling. He says, he gets up and goes, get up and fight like a man! That's what we're going to do this morning. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but are not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Men, yes, you have bad weeks. It's a reality. Ladies, yes, you have bad days with your kids. You get offended at them. But as Rocky would say, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. From Sylvester Stallone himself. Come on. The Italian Stallion. 
Church, the Lord is growing our capacity as a unit and a team. And if we don't have, as secular as it is, if we don't have that kind of mentality and grit within the body of Christ, how will we ever be unified under our king who is a warrior, who is the conqueror of the earth? We're putting our foot down together in unity today, and we're going to do it full of joy. We're not going to do it so hard-hearted and mean-faced. We're going to be strong, and we're going to be full of joy. We are children of the Most High God, and the King of Kings will help us succeed this morning. So where are you, church? I'm here. Amen. Let's go to our third point. Our third point today is we're going to speak to you about gossip, slander, and panic. I know, I know, but we're going to get to cover it. We're going to get through it together. Yes. It's going to be life-giving to you. And then we're going to continue on our next thing. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Turn to Ephesians 4. Find verse 15. Church gossip and slander are dangerous. Scripture tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. What you speak matters. If we are speaking anything other than life over somebody or any one person this morning, whether to their face or behind closed doors, we have to ask ourselves why. Because Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, say whole body, body. joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds, what is that word? So that, that's a word, so that it builds itself (laughs) together. In love. Thank you. You were there. You, were, you skipped a few, but you were there. We're not getting there that quick. Church, it says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We don't just get to rely on King Jesus. We rely on each other, and we build each other up so that we might grow together. Asking ourselves why. We talk slanderous or we gossip behind closed doors or to each other's face in private. One, it comes from insecurity. It comes from fear. It comes from anger or jealousy. Notice how none of these things even hint at a bit of life. They all bring death. And first and foremost, they bring death to you, not the one you're gossiping or slandering about. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. It might feel good to your flesh in the moment. You're a little frustrated. That feeling when you just, something rolls off your tongue and it's probably not what you should have said, but it just kind of gives you this like, oh, yes. That's wicked. And it's demonic. And we have to crush it at every turn because there's power in our words. The Lord has given us power in our tongues. And not only does it end up filling you with so much junk and disgust, but it does you more harm than the person you're talking about. 
Not only are you not speaking life over your brothers, but you're eating the fruit of the death that's spewing out of your mouth. Yeah. Where are you this morning? Here. here are a few ways that we can see this coming about within our corporate family in this room. One, maybe you are the one that points out other shortcomings so that we can feel not alone in our own. Or, maybe you're the one who points out others' weaknesses so we can seem wiser and further along than them. Those are two different things. One, you're so down in the state of where you're at and who you're at, and you don't believe who the Lord's spoken that you are, and you're down and depressed and in the dumps. Instead of getting out, you just want someone to come down there with you. You want to bring them down to where you are because you know you know better, and there's no point in lying about it. Commiserate. Others of you hate that. So what you do is you bring others down so you can seem higher than them. Yeah. Yeah. Both are wicked. Yeah. Neither are right. Both are death, not life. This is insecurity with your father, with your spouse, with your kids, with your brothers, with your sisters, and your leaders. Yeah. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. The more we read the word and the more we study and the more we preach, personally, the more I'm realizing there really isn't anything the Bible does not address. Yeah. And so today, like, listen, you might not identify right now as somebody who regularly, like, badmouths someone, like, yeah. behind closed doors, right? But maybe you do in your heart and in your mind think poorly of someone because you have jealousy towards them or you are you wish that you have you wish that you had what god has given them and so out of that jealousy you start to think you have a propensity to then become offended with them or angry with them or or want to avoid them these are behaviors that are not for the people of god for you to be jealous of someone and then be, uh, be just loaded up, ready, just ready to get offended, ready to have an issue with someone, that is, a, that is a heart posture and a behavior that can, by way of the Holy Spirit, be completely controlled and driven out of your life so that you can enjoy sweet fellowship within the body of Christ. Yeah. You can enjoy the unity of God's people. You can enjoy accomplishing things that are physically impossible on your own. But with the Holy Spirit and with all of God's people, you can accomplish things that people say are impossible. That's a way more fun life than working in your own strength and sitting at home talking badly about people so that you can feel better. We say that because I've done that before. I have been the one sitting at home complaining and whining about people and wishing that I were them or that I had what they had. So I'm telling you today, you can be fully released from it right now if only you let go of it. Where are you? So the last word we said we were going to talk about in this subject was panic. Now that was an interesting one that we saw kind of just jump off the page at us whenever we were talking and praying together this week and the way that this worked in with the gossip and slander. Those who tend to gossip and slander often display the most panic whenever someone speaks against them. Okay? 
So those who are most anxious about what other people are saying about them are also the ones who gossip and slander the most themselves. Now, you know for yourself in this room today if you're one of those people or if your spouse is one of those people. Praise the Lord, you can now help them. Out of your love for them, you can help release them from these things. Maybe you don't see the slander or gossip in your life right now as we're speaking about it, but do you panic and find yourself anxious when a relative disagrees with how you're living? Or an in-law disagrees with how you parent? Or an old friend doesn't like the way that you're devoting your life to Jesus and giving everything away in the process? Does that make you anxious? Do you panic whenever you feel like people are speaking poorly of you? This is an issue because it's a byproduct of gossip and slander and jealousy within your own heart. And whenever you are in a state of panic or anxiety concerning what other people think of you while you are living your life for Jesus, it disunifies you from the rest of the, of the church body. If you're constantly second-guessing whether or not this is the right thing to do because some unbelieving in-law or some cranky old family member who hadn't loved Jesus in forever has some opinion to you about how you're doing it, this is what we want you guys to be able to be fully released from. Fully released from. Because it will drag you out to the fringe instead of being able to work together in a community. And uh, my favorite example of this is in Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. Can you turn there with me? We're only reading four verses of it. If I had time, I'd read through the whole story with you. Every translation of the Bible that I have, digital and physical, has this chapter marked up all the way through. Numbers chapter 16 is full of God's wisdom. And will uh, help set you free today if this is an issue for you. Chapter 16, verse 3 says, They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough for all of the congregation. All, all of the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? It says, When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Pause. For those who don't know what's going on right now, this is called Korah's Rebellion. Say Korah's Rebellion. Korah's Rebellion was a moment where God had set Moses as the person to lead Israel through the wilderness. And he had set his brother Aaron as high priest to then in perpetuity set a priesthood that would be a representative of Israel to God. Right? So in this moment... Moses and Aaron are standing there together, men who are walking in the way that God has told them to, in genuineness and in humility. And a group of men come up with really clever language that sounds like they're a justice warrior. It sounds like they're in the right. Like, well, every person is holy. Every person is, is equal in God's sight. Yeah, but that's not what you're talking about. Your issue with Moses and Aaron is that you want their authority and their position that God gave them. Your issue, the issue isn't whether or not people are equal in God's sight or if they're all holy. It says in verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. That sounds bad, but it's actually the best thing that any one of us could do. 
Because he wasn't falling on his face in despair. He was falling in reverence before God instead of panicking and anxiety before men. It says, And he spoke to Korah and to all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this, Moses says, take the censers, they would spread incense with them, for yourselves, Korah, you Korah, and all of your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough. It goes on to ask, you've already been called Levites, do you want the priesthood too? The point in it is is that people, even within God's community of people, those who are supposed to be something and they're not behaving that way, will come with accusation. They will come with a damning voice in their mouth towards you. We're saying that you can be fully released from the panic that starts to build up in you whenever you get that call from your family member who wants to get some ammunition to be able to shoot at you with. We're saying that you, can, you have the ability to say, in the name of Jesus, I'm not putting up with this. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I'm actually flipping the script. I'm going to set you free from your gossip and slander. I'm going to set you free from your hatred that you have in your heart, the insecurity that you have in your heart, right? I don't know about you guys, but I've experienced this in my own family. I've experienced this with old friends of mine. I've experienced it with people here in the city. But what I'm able to do is instead of crumble in anxiety and panic before accusers, I can follow my face before God and then I can come and look at my accusers face to face and say, we're both going to stand before God tomorrow morning. And if if you really are serious about this, we'll stand before him and we'll see what he has to say. You go speak with God. I'll go speak with God. We'll come back tomorrow morning and reconvene, and then we'll let him decide it. That's a man who's confident in what God has asked of him to do. That's a man who's confident in the way that he's placed him into a community of people who are getting delivered into promises and glory and the land of Canaan and everything else that comes with that. We're saying for gossip and slander and panic to be released from it today. Be fully released from it today. If you feel like after today you still have these things in your life and you are having a hard time letting go of these things or these things aren't letting go of you, speak with one of us after the service. We'll have lunch together. We'll do something. We'll pray with you and we're going to see freedom come. Amen? Amen? We have to experience freedom in this because it will continue to pull at the unity that you've already achieved the kind of relationships and the love that you have for one another in this place the way that you are on a mission for the work that God has given you and your family and this community as a whole to do together what will constantly tug at you away from that is someone accusing you away from left field and we don't have to have that amen All right, so we're going to move on to our last subject. And our last subject today, are you still here? Where are you? I'm here. here. The last topic we would like to cover with you today is an important one. We must consider the way that our unity is affected by leaders who are more concerned with proving themselves than raising a community that proves to hold 
to the standard that God has given. Now, our aim is at fivefold ministers first in this room. And all those who aspire to be elders, deacons, pillars, and so on. But clearly, this applies to every mom, every dad, every husband, and every wife. Hey, even firstborn siblings, if you feel like you have any influence in people around you, this part's for you. We're going to start by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 15 as we are approaching a close today. I said approaching, don't get too excited. We've got some really sweet stuff for you, and I promise you're going to take it home, you're going to love it, and you're going to remember it the rest of your lives. Amen? 2 Samuel chapter 15, say, I'm here when you get there. Verse 1. Verse 1. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the, pa- on the part of the king. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one, oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land than every man who has any suit or cause, could come to me, and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Wow. So... In this story, Absalom himself is standing at the gates, stopping people before they ever even get to his dad, who is the king. King David, the one, who's at, the one after God's heart, is on the throne, and Absalom is standing at a gate, wanting to make sure that whatever people seek from David, he's going to catch him on the way in. He's doing this to earn favor because he doesn't have a throne. He doesn't have that spot. So what he's going to do is he's going to stir up the love of the people right there at the front door of the city. This can look like in leaders right here in this community. Like when we preach the message God gave us and are already reloading for our next good word at the next meeting. The question is why? Why why do we have a propensity to do these things? We have them because we feel the need to constantly show people and prove to people like I'm good at my job, I'm the right man to lead here, I've got the wisdom, I've got the knowledge, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm equipped, I'm powerful, I'm the man of the hour. We still have these things inside of us. And we can be fully released from them today so that we can have a greater unity and enjoy accomplishing the work that God's given us to do together. There's only one man who sits on the throne, and that's Jesus. And I'm not going to stand at the gate and earn your affection on my life. 
so that I can steal from him whatever authority he has. I'm going to take whatever authority he gives me and I'm going to live it out because the king gave it to me. But I'm not going to stand at the gate. I'm not going to do that stuff anymore because I've done that way too many times in my life. Come and let me answer your questions so that Jesus doesn't have to. He's too busy doing something more important anyways. And your problem is very little and easy. So let me give you an answer for it. Now that sounds very patronizing and nasty. But actually on the inside, we do this stuff more often than you think. Some of you do it with each other. Whenever you get in groups and do Bible studies together or you get in groups and you pray together or a friend's asking for counsel from another friend, those are good things. We want that here in this community. But then you're like, yeah, like, like no big deal. Like, man, like, listen, just go do this. But not at one point did you direct them to go meet with the king sitting on his throne. Not at one point did you appoint them, did you point them in the direction to go to the God-appointed people who could have the answer for it because God put them there see I'm not advocating for us getting anything more any more authority than what God himself has given us I'm actually speaking the complete opposite I'm saying we as leaders in this church are committed to not being Absalom standing at the gate stealing from the king on the throne his influence and authority in the land but we will in the name of the king do every work that he's given us to do with every bit of authority he's given us to do it. We feel satisfied after preaching or teaching. This is premature. So whenever we get done with a message, we get done with a sermon, and you're like, ah, got that done. That's premature. It's an issue because then you just treated a message, a teaching, or a sermon, or a sermonette, or a prophetic word like a performance. And it wasn't a performance. You feel relieved when you're done because it was a performance to you. See, as leaders here in this community, and I'm not talking about the pastors here. I'm talking about any, anyone here. You cannot feel relieved after you just deliver that good word to somebody. God gave you a word for them. Man, you're like, man, I gave them that good word. Hallelujah, what are they doing about it? I don't know. I gave them that good word, though, and I got another one for next time. Oh my gosh, well, that's not good for anything. There are good words flying around everywhere. Where is the community at? Where is your brother who, whom you gave that corrective word to? How is your wife doing? How is your husband doing? How are your children doing? How are your disciples doing? How is your ministry team doing? These are the questions that we have to ask, and we cannot be satisfied with finishing a worship set or finishing a sermon or a prophetic word or anything. We must, together as an entire community, see a full execution of the direction and the vision that God gives us. We can feel like we belong. We can know that we're loved. We can like each other all that we want. And this is the first church I've been a part of in my life where people actually like each other that much. It's awesome. I've listened to gossip my entire life in churches. We were covering those subjects because it is a tiny little wicked thing and we want to remove every seed in its seed form. This is the church I've ever been a part of that actually love and like each other. But we're saying to you today that we can be released from these things and go and accomplish great feats in the name of Jesus together. 
The best contribution of Christ's church is not music or preaching. But instead, establishing generations of people who are so obsessed, who love Jesus so much and desire to obey everything he has instructed us to do. So much so that our preaching and our teaching and our music isn't a show and tell scene, but is a place where people are fundamentally changed and regenerated in the love and the wisdom of Christ. Then we can be a powerful and effective people. Then we can be a people that are changing the landscape of, of the earth where we've been placed at. Then we can be a people where you see revival break out, not in a church service, but over a whole city. So that when people drive through it, they get hit by the Holy Spirit and they were just a trucker driving to Oklahoma City. That's the stuff that I'm talking about, but it won't happen unless we are doing these types of things together. Can y'all stand up? I'm going to speak these last couple of verses over you, and we're going to close this thing out together. So what do these things look like in the eyes of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, it says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Yeah. We're speaking over you today that you're going to be a humble and meek person people filled with the empowerment of God himself and your humility with one another is actually going to be what gets you lifted up. This is actually going to be how God himself picks you up and places you as a point of influence, which he wants you to have over this land. John chapter 13 verse 12 says, so when he had washed their feet, and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, Jesus said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so, am, so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yeah. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Where are you today? Where are you today? Here. Here. We're giving an opportunity right now for you, your friends, and your family in this room to decide today in your hearts. Are you a part of the movement that God is doing here, or are you only a benefactor of it? There is no need in promising something you will never make the decision to actually go and live up to. Today is the day to not just feel a part of what God is doing here, but today is the day to be a part of what he is doing. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. Come on, lift up your hearts to him now. Jesus, in John chapter 17, you spoke over us that the glory which your father gave you you were pouring out over us. And that if only, Jesus, we would find ourselves in you and you would be in your Father, that the unity that we would have together would prove to the whole world that you were the sent one of God. Jesus, we together as your people, as your people, God, 
want to see miraculous works done. We want to see families set free in our community. We want to see demonic principalities removed from our city. We want to see the witches and the, the Wiccan right here in this town actually come into the knowledge of Christ. Actually come in and know you, Jesus, and no longer run from you. To worship you and not to worship your creation. Lord Jesus, we want every person who has a defiled concept of love in this town to come into contact with you and your love. But Jesus, you have asked of us that we be your representatives on the earth. And so we are saying that we are here today, Jesus. We're saying we are here before you. We are here, Jesus. And we're here together to be the very examples that you have given, that you have set on the land to show a people who are lost and broken who you are. And God, we thank you. We thank you for the way that you have given us each other. We thank you for the way that you've given us your, your word, your spirit. You've given us everything that we need in this life to be able to accomplish these things. And even better, Lord, you gave us an upgrade. The things that we didn't have to have, but that we get to have, and now that we want to have, and that is the way that we get to do these things together. God, you could have accomplished these things from the heavens on your own, and you entrusted these things to people like me, to people like Pastor Landon and every other person in this room. And then you asked us to do it together. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to do these things together. And together, God, we're going to see our families opening up our homes and letting people into them and sitting at our table whom no one else would ever let in their home. We're going to see families and marriages put back together over dinner tables. We're going to see people, before they ever even get married, get your spirit, Jesus, in their relationship in a way that they will never have the turmoil in their marriage that their parents or grandparents or friends ever had to deal with, Lord. We're going to not just see families get redeemed. We're going to see new families get started in this land, already filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that this land would be a land called redeemed, that this land would be called Rehoboth, that it would be the place that you have given us, Lord, and that we might be fruitful in this land and that our fruit might abide. And all these things are happening and will happen in your name, Jesus. And we thank you today. We say we love you and that we love one another, Lord, and that we are excited to do these things together. Thank you, Jesus. And we do all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.